0: Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to fall, the most consequential fall of our lifetime. Welcome to Episode 78. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. And if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. Will you commit
1: to making sure that there is a peaceful transfer of power after the election? Well, we're going to have to see what happens. You know that I've been complaining very strongly about... The ballots and the ballots are a disaster. I understand and, that, but and, people are rioting. Do you uh, commit to making sure that and there's a no, peaceful wanna, transfer all power? We want to have get rid of the ballots, and you'll have a very transfer. We'll have a very peaceful. There won't be a transfer, frankly. There'll be a continuation. A
0: continuation. A continuation of the chaos. What happens will be chaos. An American president is refusing to respect the results of an election. It would be total chaos. It would be laughable if it wasn't possible. But it's no laughing matter. President Mayhem is serious. And the times are serious. The stakes are serious. And so is the need for some humor, for jokes, for perspective, and for courage. And this groundbreaking episode, we've got it from a truly iconic, important, An inspiring guest, the great Stephen Colbert. Stephen Colbert is a man who is driving the national discussion. He's a conscience, he's a voice of reason, and he's a person who understands how important laughter can be in the toughest of times. And these are the toughest of times. And there's no more important time to hear from Stephen Colbert. I've known Stephen for almost two decades. And he joined us from his home, uninterrupted and unedited in this fun, candid and inspiring conversation. As we enter the most trying and important fall of our lifetime, Angry Americans is bringing in the big guns to help you get through this trying time. And there are a few bigger than Stephen Colbert. President Mayhem is sheer chaos. He's doing anything and everything he can to disrupt our country our unity, our day. And this conversation is the antidote. Stephen and I break down the current state of the country and what the future might hold. He beams in from his home office and shares wisdom, jokes, and some amazing stories. He talks about his trip to Iraq to visit the troops and why he shaved his head while he was there. He shares his first car story, which is one of the best we've ever had. He has a take on what makes him angry That you'll never forget and an answer to what makes him happy that'll warm your heart it's also painful and expensive but a great story this is stephen colbert like you've never heard him before and
1: you'll just have to listen i don't feel like i know a lot about politics but i recognize hypocrisy because that's just a human behavior politics is ends up being a very complex set of improvisational games that um the rules of which are rarely said out loud. And, and then because that there is a truth to that, some people perceive it only as game. And then you have voter suppression, which is just all part of the game, man, but no part of the spirit of the idea of democracy.
0: Stephen Colbert is a true helper. He's helping in whatever way he can to make our day better, to make our lives better, to make our country better. And I say it in every episode, there are two kinds of leaders in America right now. The first, who are trying to contain and defeat the virus and win the war. And the second, that's trying to kill the rest of us. It's simple. And Stephen's one of the first. He's a brilliant guy. He's a dad. And he's a patriot. And just like the rest of us, he knows we're all in this together. As we enter hurricane season and the most tumultuous fall we've ever seen, we're all riders on the same storms. Riders on the storm. Riders on the storm. Fall is here. Football is here. The election is already underway. And as things get more intense and more turbulent, we'll continue to improvise, adapt and overcome. We'll stay focused We'll stay vigilant and we'll stay frosty. Just like football, America is a team game, the ultimate team game. And Stephen Colbert is a guy you want on your team. He's a guy who can lift you up, bring you forward, and make everyone feel a little bit better and a little bit wiser. And just like every other guest on this show, he's bringing the four eyes of integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. When things are at their toughest, those are the times we need a laugh the most. Those are the times we need real patriots the most. And those are the times we need real leaders the most. Leaders like Stephen Colbert. Welcome to Angry Americans, episode 78. Gentlemen, angry Americans around the country and around the world. This is the guest I've been looking forward to having on this show since I first conceived of it. He is a man I admire. He is a man I appreciate. He's a man I've been honored to know now for maybe almost two decades. I think he's a conscience. I think he's getting us through some really crazy times. And he's one of the nicest people I've ever met in this whole weird political media entertainment business. I am honored to have us uh, have us joined by the great and powerful Stephen Colbert. Hey, Paul, good to see you. I feel like I need reverb or echo or something as you enter this Do it in post. Do it in post. I don't I don't have any post, man. (laughs) (laughs) This is it. This is it, man. I'm in my uh, you can see I'm in my kid's bedroom, you know. Oh, nice. This is uh, improvise, adapt, and, and overcome, as we say. But
1: it's nice. Those are some quality decals on the wall. Octonauts. Are you familiar with octonauts? Uh, my, my youngest is 18. I do not know the aquanauts. Oh. Uh, octa- octonauts?
0: Octonauts. They are a heroic group of underwater heroes that, that regularly save the world and teach about marine biology along the way. If they were running our government, we'd be in so much better hands right now. <laughs> good. Good. But- Thank you for joining me. I'm so honored to have you. Let me ask you a question I've been asking everybody from the beginning. We've known each other almost two decades now. Yeah. Um, yeah, the question I ask of everybody since the pandemic started is,
1: where are you and how are you? Um, I'm home. I'm home. Um, I'm, in a, I'm in a home office that we, we set up 12 years ago. And I did not start using until uh, two months ago because I always had an office to go to, uh, in the city. And, uh, I, I really like it. I, I, I it's really nice to be home. I really lo- I love the ability to be able to go downstairs and have lunch with my wife. That's, that's nice. Um, so I'm at home. I did the first five months of COVID in South Carolina, which is, um, where I grew up and where my wife grew up and, um, uh, her, her family's down there. My family's still down there. So that was, Really great. We, you know, besides the strangeness and of course the the disquiet and the, the sort of this, the, 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 the general anxiety associated with uh, COVID right now, it was really sort of fascinating to be in my hometown for a long period of time, especially in the spring, which I hadn't done since I was 18 years old. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you always wonder, can you go home again? Mm-hmm. You know, especially even if you love it, can you go home again and make a life later? you know, late, later in your own life there. And boy, I'm just sold. I'm sold on South Carolina. I just love the people and I love the place just as much as I ever did. It was an interesting interesting window into what is possible now, especially since you can do your show anywhere now, evidently. I, you know, ratings are great. I happen to be in South Carolina. It's a dangerous thing for me to discover. Um, but now now I'm back up here in the New York area. And how am I? damn lucky is how I am. Mm. You know, not only am I, I healthy, luckily I have some members of my family have, have contracted COVID, but everyone's been fine so far um, with various degrees of it, you know, <clears throat> manifesting itself in symptoms. I've been very lucky. Um, and um, I'm lucky to be able to go to work. You know, I, I, I feel um, for everybody who not only has the anxiety but A doesn't have the income, doesn't have that daily sense of purpose, you know, as, you know, as uh as as the saying goes, uh, it's about more than a paycheck. Mm. And uh I can't imagine how the anxiety would also be racking me right now if I didn't have a thing to go and be with the people even over Zoom, who we have a progress every day. And that progress works through um, works through our energy and works through our anxiety. So um I have my own anxieties, but I never lose sight of the fact that I'm I'm uh, I'm one of the lucky ones right now. Hmm. You've always been
0: uh, a guy who exudes gratitude and want to you, know, you and I met. I don't know if you remember when we met. It was 2006. I had um, my book was out. Your show you know, was still relatively early at Comedy that Central. Wasn't a year old. Yeah, it was May of 2006 and you came into the green room and it was right after you had given. Uh, the White House correspondence Dinner Speech. So that would have been
1: May of 2006. Yeah, eh?
0: yeah it, was, it was right after that. And, and uh, it, it was a moment where I think the, the country really understood the importance of your voice. And I would argue that the heroism of your voice. Um, but also when you came back in that room and you're interviewing me, you know, I'm a young Iraq vet. You were very kind. Uh, you were always very humble. But I also could tell that that was a big moment. Like, I remember when I first stepped out and people started threatening me, I was in the arena. You know, my brother used to say he was worried more about political snipers here than he was about snipers when I was in Baghdad. Mm-hmm. But that, was, that felt, I remember you coming in the room and feeling that there was a pressure on you because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always wanted to ask you, like reflecting back on, on that time, now that you've got such a big platform and you're challenging the president every, every day, What did that feel like? And how do you reflect on that moment now?
1: Well, the first thing is, it's very nice of you you to say what what you just said about that that night. Uh, To me, I just really wanted to go do those jokes. You know, like, this is what I do. I didn't do anything different. It's not like I hit another gear to go do that. You just had to be willing to do it in front of the president and in front of the press and the Washington people you're talking about. That's all. But um, I guess a lifetime of not really caring about someone else's status sort of got me ready for that. And so that was, that was, those jokes were a magic carpet. I just got to fly over that part of the anxiety by riding on the jokes. And I had a really good time. You know, there was no sense for me while it was happening. I mean, I know I didn't want to go any closer to the president, you know, but <laughs> I didn't want to necessarily go over and like hang with him afterwards. But I didn't get a sense until much later that there was any sense of um, like a whiff of brimstone Mm. in the room. You know, what you you couldn't, and I know I've said this before, but what you couldn't hear at home was that there was a lot of laughter in the room. The room's just not mic'd for laughter. Like if you did a show at the Ed Sullivan Theater where I am and you didn't mic the audience, you would think that every monologue bombed, you know, and so it went okay, and, and it wasn't until it kind of got digested online and people started writing about it that it became controversial. And I chose to hold on to that feeling I had on stage and I just never talked about it. I never read anything about it because I saw how it blew up and I didn't want that to swallow my show because my show was so new. Yeah. I'm like, okay, well, that's that thing that I did, but that's not the show. It's, 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 I used all the same skills, but I got to build the show here. So I kind of just the the pressure I felt was the pressure to do it again or the pressure to, you know, be like some sort of um, wear my jokes like a suicide vest and run into places and blow them up. And I had no interest in doing that. I really kind of hoped the president would have laughed at those jokes. So the pressure I had was like, oh, I didn't want the crowd's enjoyment of that. And I mean, the, 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 the crowd at home, not the crowd in the room the sort of the roar that came in the days after that from people having appreciated what I and my writers tried to do that night. I didn't want that to take over and, and to be sort of led by the crowd as opposed to try to lead it. You know what I mean? Like, and so I, I, I purposefully, and I had a conversation with John Stewart about this. Like, how do I do this? He goes, just don't ever talk about it, man. Mm-hmm. And eventually it'll just be a shine from that night. But 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 not be what defines you as a performer, and so it's really only the last few years that I've wanted to talk about it at all because I, I tried to be really um, cognizant that um, that wasn't everything that I wanted to do with the show. It didn't really want to always have the knives out, however much people might have perceived that as the sort of the legend of the evening is Colbert in there with his knives out. That's only part of the that's only part of the gig. So what you saw was my nervousness that maybe. I had um, been my my intention of the show had been subsumed by uh, the intention of that one night.
0: Mm. I think for me at the time, it gave me hope that someone would speak truth directly to power. You know, I had just come home from Iraq recently now in Mm -hmm. retrospect. Right. And I felt like it was the first time that the president had ever had ever been. Called to task to his face in public. It was the first time anybody actually well, tried to hold him accountable in some way to his face.
1: Well, it wasn't I mean, popular at the time. You'll, yeah, n- you'll remember a lot had, of the reaction to that night. It was not a popular reaction. No, no, that's, that's why. But listen, that's some um, yeah. That I got some pretty dark correspondence.
0: After I could this. feel that. That's what I'm. I could feel that when you walked in the room because you know, it was on a very different level. But when I spoke out about the war and I I was one of the first to come home from Iraq and challenge Bush, we got a lot of death threats, dark stuff. Like I didn't, I honestly didn't expect it. I kind of warned my dad and said, hey dad, you might want to, you know, change grandma's phone number because they can Google it and find her, you know? And he was like, ah, if they come, I'll be waiting for them." I'm like, dad, this is not that kind of level, okay? But I, I could feel that, that, um, That that weight that you only understand if you're in the arena and you're truly challenging power.
1: All all of that happened as well. Yeah, yeah. all of that happened as well, and of course, you worry for your family and things.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it cuts to the issue, you know, of 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 integrity and courage, which I think has been a theme throughout your, your your life and your career. Um, maybe the president's calling you right now. I don't know what that noise was. I don't know what that was.
1: <laughs> I don't. I don't know how to but, make that not happen. Sorry. It's all right.
0: But you're also, you know, always giving back, and you don't. People don't always see that. You know, you regularly supported veterans groups and so many other charities. You shaved your head and went to Iraq. Okay. Now, you I just know, wanted to
1: be like you, Paul.
0: Well, I, I learned it from you. I, I kept this in honor of you. So, you know, that was, that was brave. But you're also a guy Wait, who. Say, but brave. shave the head, was shave the head your idea? I suggested it. I don't know if I was it, the only one who suggested it. No, I it.
1: think it was your idea. And I went, oh, that would be great. And then we could have Odierno like do it and the president could order him to do it and then and then like I didn't think you were really gonna do it and my staff worked so hard to actually make all that happen but I believe shave the head was your idea.
0: I I suggested it I didn't think you were gonna do it I don't know if it was the only person who suggested I thought you were gonna do some kind of bald cap or something funky but there were no tricks.
1: Some people actually thought like well how will that in any way be resonant like is that really good I was like no 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 I bet it's a joke, obviously, but it's a real joke, and I bet, actually, the people who have to have their head shaved will appreciate at least the effort. Yeah. There aren't too many other people
0: doing that. <laughs> but, but it cuts to that you're, you're a very down-to-earth guy. You're, you're a humble guy. You're a relatable guy. Everybody uh, who's been around you, you know, in informal settings is always struck by how down-to-earth you are. You, you know, we, we are uh, on this show always asking folks to share with us a little bit about themselves. So when you're you know, offline and you're relaxing, I'll ask you the question I ask of all our guests. Stephen Colbert, what is your drink of choice?
1: Um, well, right now I'm having Diet Coke, but, um, but there's a lime in there to try to fool me to think there's a little rum in there too. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, what's my drink of choice? Last night uh, I came home. I had, a lot of, I had some work to do, but all it required was, was for me to read some old scripts from 22 years ago that I wrote. I'm just for a friend of mine. I'm doing a benefit, and I'm and I'm reading some pilots that I wrote back when I was a young writer as part of this benefit Zoom that I'm going to do. And I had to go read them to see like which one of these what I want to do. And I said I'm going to need a drink for this because I'm just going to see how much I sucked 22 years ago at writing. Not that I don't suck, you know, these days uh, uh, quite frequently. But so I poured myself a Mount Gay and tonic. That's, uh, that's, that's it. Mount Gay and Tonic. Mount Gay Eclipse. Don't get too fancy here. Just give me your basic Mount Gay. Mount Gay and Tonic, uh, two limes. Maybe even a little splash of soda so it's not too sweet. I don't want anything to, dr- don't drown it. I don't want to drown the Mount Gay. I want to, I want to know that I'm having a rum drink. Um, and if I'm feeling super fancy, uh, I'll have like an espresso martini. You know, it's, that's my Red Bull and rum. That's my, Ooh. that's my combo platter. <laughs>
0: How, rum and tonic, how did you get introduced to that? That's not one I've heard.
1: It's a sailor kind of like Mount Gay and Tonic is kind of a sailor drink. And yeah. I'm not a big sailor, but I, I know some of I know some. And one of them at a party was having that. I'm like, that looks fine. What's that? And he goes, Let me go make you one. And that's I'm in, baby. Mount Gay and Tonic.
0: I love it. I love it. Yeah. Okay. So we're staying we're gonna stay in the way, way back machine. You you mentioned you were back in South Carolina. I think there's a lot of folks who hope you'll stay in South Carolina and run for office.
1: Um I'm I can kill that dream right now (laughs) because, you know, I did the Colbert Report for almost 10 years where I, with my name in this face, said with a straight face, unforgivable things in character. Can you imagine the ads that could be run against me based on the things that that character said? I said that Rosa Parks was overrated. I I, I said, hey, don't get me wrong. I understand the monuments and everything. but Let's not forget, she was arrested for breaking the law. Are we honoring lawbreakers now? So that character is, thank God, that character will keep me from ever running for office.
0: Is, is that character more extreme than the character that the president played in The Apprentice, <laughs> and the character plays every day? I think this is a new environment, man.
1: I think the bar is a lot lower than it used to be. I, I know it is, but the funny you should say that is that I think sometimes the president will say things that nearly word for word what my character said. Yeah, and to yeah. the point, like, was he watching? Like, I, did he watch that show? Yeah because he'll he'll literally say things like you know I don't go with my brain go with my gut is actually the gut is more informed and stuff like that <laughs> things that are literally from the opening thesis statement of that show so is he more extreme no the president is more extreme yeah the president yeah. is more extreme than my character which is glad I don't have to do him anymore because I can't leapfrog that what's on, I, I can't get i can't get further afield than 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 this guy well
0: since you won't run for South Carolina, I do want to keep your mind back in South Carolina. When you were growing up, yeah. I'm assuming it was in South Carolina.
1: And assuming I grew up. Right. Stephen Colbert, what was your first car? Um, my first car was first owned, I think, by my sister, Mary. And then by my brother, Bill. And then Bill sold it to me for a dollar. Right when I got out of college. And we like to say that he ripped me off <laughs> because it was a 1977 powder blue Pinto. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, man, it had a serious rattle and I knew nothing about, I knew how to change uh, brake pads and I knew how to change oil and like put brake fluid in. And that was about all I changed the tire. That's about all I knew how to do with the, with the car. And it would rattle so bad that I would roll it over a ditch and keep it running and uh, put the brake on and crawl underneath with a hammer, a screwdriver, and a pair of pliers. And I would touch the hammer against things underneath the car. And if by touching that thing, it stopped rattling, I would remove that thing. And then the first place I lived out of college, there was on the on, there was a shelf in the garage. And there was a, a collection, a slowly building collection of rusted pieces of metal. The purpose of which I didn't know. I don't know tailpipe, catalytic converter. I'm not sure what it was. And then just one day, I removed one too many things, and it didn't work anymore.
0: Wow.
1: And so I left it parked on the street in Chicago, essentially for the summer. And then, and then you could just, because there was no alternate side parking, you could park in in Chicago for months and months and months until there was snow. Then the first snow of more than two inches, all cars have to be moved so they can plow. And I didn't even think about it. And two weeks later, I went, oh, damn, there was a snow two weeks ago. I went and looked and it was gone. So I went, I went to, um, the city pound, which was in the way down in like, um, the city of chicago you see from the lake there's an area right near the lake called lower wacker drive which yeah is, I know, that is yeah. you know so the the impound i went to the impound on lower wacker drive down there which is like a vision from dante's inferno it's just hell on earth and i went in and i i the the, the number of fees i would have to have paid because you know every day i just went in there and i said hey can i just i just want to check out my car and they said okay so i went and found the car it was unlocked I, I took some dry cleaning out of the back seat. I'd forgotten. I'd put a, I'd left some dry cleaning. I unscrewed the the, the knob on the stick shift, put it in my pocket and I tossed the keys and I walked away. And that was it. That was my first car. Wow. Is the knob anywhere in that room you're sitting in now? It's probably behind that door. There's a little storage door over there. Wow. It's probably in there. I've got a box, you know, Stephen's memory box. It's probably in there. Wow.
0: Wow. Okay. That's amazing. I'm so glad I asked you that question. I didn't think it would disappoint. Uh we had Norman Lear on recently and his answer was a model t. No. I mean, oh yeah. No. Model He's t. Not that old. Yeah, he is that old. Oh my. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we've had some we've had some great answers, but oh. so speaking of uh the wheels coming off and 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 things starting to fall apart. Yes. Uh and efforts to keep it together. Let me ask you a question. I think you've been you know a voice of reason, a conscience, you've helped so many people get through this time. I don't know if you've answered this question anywhere else before, but can you frame up this moment in time, historically? You're a student of history, um, you're you're impacting history. I've talked a bit about how you're one of the people that's in a unique situation because you're living in the pandemic, you're covering the pandemic, and you're trying to influence the pandemic. But you're doing that in all aspects of what's happening in this country. So can you frame up for us? You know, how bad is this where we are right now? And, and what do you think uh, the future looks like?
1: Uh, I, I, I wouldn't call myself a student of history. I'm sort of a student of human behavior, mm-hmm. you know, because like I've started off as an actor and I learned how to write and do comedy by improvising and then seeing that behavior and trying to script it. And so I kind of look at it from just um, like I don't feel like I know a lot about politics. But I recognize hypocrisy because that's just a human behavior. Politics is ends up being a very complex set of improvisational games that um, the rules of which are rarely said out loud. And, and then because that there is a truth to that, some people perceive it only as game. And then you have voter suppression, which is just all part of the game, man but no part of the spirit of the idea of democracy. So anyway, I'm interested in the the way humans behave and some people uh, say one thing and act in another way and the the difference between the arc there, between what they purport to do and what they actually do. The jokes all land in that little arc there. Hmm. The closer it comes, the harder it is to make the joke. But right now, it's like that. We believe one thing, we do another. So it's open field running, if you know what I mean. Right. What do I think of the moment? I think it's a hazardous moment because people lose faith in institutions. And um one of my writers is is um from Colombia and he goes, he he said this morning in the pitch meeting, he goes, Hey, by the way, I just want to say that I know like it, it can't really happen, but that's actually what everyone says right before it happens. Mm. Everyone everyone but before an autocracy actually takes over, what they say is and, and I'm speaking to you as a, a Latin American, the last thing people say is okay they're doing all the things that would lead to it but it won't really happen or they don't really mean it or this is just game playing mm-hmm. so um where are we we're in a very dangerous spot right now um where um truth has been devalued there is uh, if you pardon the expression an epistemological crisis within the republican party where things cannot be known we can't know what's happening with global warming mm-hmm. we can't um we can't know uh, how many votes there were. We won't know. The statement saying we will never know what, who the winner is is a very dangerous thing to say. Some things are knowable. We won't know. We can't know how many people have died of COVID. We don't really know what the right thing to do is. All of that is to say my opinion is as declarative as fact. And so, since things can't be known, and if you'll accept my opinion as declarative and as definitive as fact on all these other things, if you accept all of these things incrementally, the boiling frog, as it were, in the water, that when we get to the point of can't know who won the election, then my declarative and definitive opinion is just as good as you sitting around counting ballots. Therefore, the election is not necessary. Now, will that actually happen? I don't think so. And, of course, that could very well be wrong. But this is all just to get to the last question you gave is, um, what, where, what does this moment mean or where is this moment going? We won't know until November 3rd. What is the future of this country is completely dependent on what happens on November 3rd. There is no doubt that we are at a critical uh, uh, moment in our country. Not only um Things like um, the, 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 the chickens of racial injustice coming home to roost right now, again, again. Um, but also our decades long running away from fact hmm. and, our, and our need to bury our head in the sand, in the consoling sands of ignorance. And, and some of it has to do with that we're really in a moment of loss. You know, this is a moment of great loss for people individually, not only the the loss of life, um, the loss of loved ones, loss loss of human connection right now. Um, You know, we're 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 societal animals Mm -hmm. and not to not to be able to each other is this this loss, emotional loss for ourselves. That's hard to take a toll of Um, hard to hard to measure the toll it takes. Um, We're also in a loss of um, the threatened uh, preeminence of the United States on the world stage, you know, not only um, because in the last few years, we've alienated our allies, which everybody needs friends. And our strength comes not only through military power, you know, what, what you've done with uh, your life and what you've learned and, and, and the, the value and the necessity of that, but also the soft power that uh, is required through diplomacy and trade. And, uh, we're, 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 we're in a moment, we're threatened to lose that, but also just the raw economic power of a new rising, uh, a, a new rising world force like China. Um, so those make Americans nervous. Mm-hmm. And we also have, um, you know, Donald Trump himself, if, you know, if you, pardon me saying the name, um, is something like a loss of innocence for America as well. There's some there's some loss of innocence there. And it's happened before. I mean, during Nixon um there's a loss of innocence certainly considering uh concerning how we perceived the presidency. Uh uh, uh a loss of our sense of invincibility with Vietnam, a loss of our uh, our our uh, preeminence on the world stage with the oil crisis which led to an economic crisis and collapsing of jobs in uh the the rust belt. Um even down to things like, you know, you're too young to remember, but Marilyn Chambers was a porn star in the 1970s who turned out to have been the ivory snow girl. Like there was some sense of like loss of innocence there. Um, So, and when people are feeling loss, they react in extreme ways because they're afraid. And that, that, that fear um, leads to anger and different things can happen. You can march in the streets, demand your rights, or you can hand those rights over to someone who says, I'll just take care of you. And I think that's where we are. Some people are marching the streets demanding their rights and demanding that things be known. And other people are handing the keys over to somebody who says, don't worry, I'll know everything. I'll decide everything. You just follow me and it'll be okay. Mm-hmm. So, but all of it, I think, is, is a response to a sense that America is in a moment of loss here a loss of some things we love. It's not, it's perfectly human. It's perfectly natural. It's perfectly normal. Um, it's, um, it's historically common, but the things that makes the difference are the um, political, philosophical, moral, ethical underpinnings of America, and normally the leadership that points to those things. Mm. And now we lack that leadership to point to those things. America is just as great as it's ever been but we're being pointed in the wrong direction. Leadership matters. They say elections have consequences. These are the consequences of the last election.
0: Hmm. I'm so glad you brought it back there because I think that leadership is the defining factor right now and leadership is missing in so many ways, but leaders are also rising to the moment and shaping the moment and are standing in the wings to take us through the next moment. But I think your leadership has been important weaving together part of what you talked about, in that this is a loss for our country. This is a tragedy. We are losing opportunity. We're losing time. We're losing life. There's a real sense of loss and tragedy around what's happened, and I think driven in large part by the leadership failures of this president. But I remember one of the more powerful conversations I've ever seen on television was your conversation with Joe Biden, talking about loss, where you both showed tremendous. Personal, uh, powerful vulnerability. You shared how you both had faced unspeakable loss, and and how you've gotten through that. And I think it it puts us in a position where, whether you know it or not, you're helping people deal with that loss now, and you're helping us get through it. And I think that's why Joe Biden is well positioned to take us through the next phase because he can be a consoler in chief. He understands loss. He understands the wreckage and tragedy that will come after Trump, and he can help guide us through it, hold our hand and give us some, some wisdom. But there's also anger out there. And, and, you know, part of why I did this show is to play with anger in the same way you used to play with conservatism, right. And, and recognize that that anger can go in a lot of directions, but it's a natural reaction and how you choose to react to that reaction. It makes the difference, right? If you're not, I say, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention, especially this week with everything from the Supreme Court. Uh, Situation to Breonna Taylor to Trump saying he may not leave office if he if he loses if you're not angry You're not paying attention, but we can turn that anger into positive impact You've done that you turn all those emotions into some solace and I think some positivity and some hope for people But you're human you get angry too. Stephen Colbert. What makes you angry? Um
1: Well this might be too long of an answer because the long part is before I ever get to the answer, Mm. which is that I have, I, I have, um, this ongoing feeling about anger itself, which is that anger is generally not the feeling you're feeling
0: Mm.
1: is that anger is often the armor you wear to not feel the actual feeling or not show the actual feeling. And, and because for instance, um, whether it's no action uh, taken regarding specifically the death of Breonna Taylor. I know the charges for reckless endangerment happened to one of those three officers, but nothing regarding Breonna Taylor. Well, that makes people feel powerless, Um, uh, especially when the district, when the Attorney General says, "I I, there's nothing I can do. The laws do not allow me to bring charges here. Um, Or Ginsburg dies. Look, they're perfectly within their power to do what they're doing. There's, there's no debating that. They're perfectly within their power to appoint somebody else. Um, it, and that powerlessness on behalf of the people who say, but you have no honor. Look, look how you will lie and do anything in your naked pursuit of that power. Um, that powerlessness you feel, well, that powerless, that lack of agency creates Fear. Because you're like an animal with their hand caught in a trap. And then that fear, no one wants to feel fear. It's the last thing you want to fear. feel. And maybe even more than grief, you don't want to feel fear. And uh, so you cover the fear with anger. And there are other responses that are possible to fear. But not, anger is the... Um, uh, the um, evolutionarily successful (laughs) response. Mm. And it's it's proven itself valuable. I'm not saying that it's the wrong thing to do. I'm just saying it's just one of the responses you can have. Um, But anger, as Yoda reminds us, leads to hate, and hate leads to the dark side. And so there's another thing you do with fear, is you can identify the thing that makes you fearful and then say, what is the only agency you have? What agency can I have here? Is there any move I can make? And so what makes me angry right now? What makes me angry right now? What makes me angry is a sense of. um, What makes me angry really is people saying there's nothing you can do. Mm. Giving up makes me angry. People saying he's going to win. Or people saying um, uh, the Democrats don't know what they're doing. No, the responsibility is yours. Go vote. There is something you can do. You must never give up on the sense of your own personal power in this democracy. Now, if you didn't live in democracy, that'd be one thing, but in a democracy, you are never allowed to give up hope. You are never allowed to surrender. You're never allowed to say, let anger be the last step for you. Um, Go vote. Keep your sense of personal agency, do something, get somebody else to vote. Giving up makes me angry Mm. because the anger I have about those other things I work that through. I work through that on a daily basis. And we come together, we share our language, anger with each other. We, you know, use whatever we've learned over the last couple of decades of doing this work. And we try to turn that into jokes by the end of the day, jokes that have a knife in them sometimes, but they're jokes, you know, it's a snowball with a stone in the middle, but it's a snowball. And, um, uh, you know, if that can make somebody less afraid, because you can't laugh and be afraid at the same time, as I've said before, that makes someone less afraid, then then they can think. And they can think of a way to get their hand out of that trap. And generally speaking, that is, it can be protesting, it can be voting, it can be writing, it can be creating art, can change lives for other people by taking their fear away, giving them a sense of community. But the people who are most making you feel powerless and leads to that anger most want you to feel hopeless. most want you to feel no sense of community. most want you to feel that there's nothing they can you can do to stop the their march toward um, uh, non democratic and i would say non humanist answers
0: mm. Mm. Thank you for that i I, I was Hoping we could go on that journey, and, and really, really, I mean that's Frank. It's why I, I, I was excited about the podcasting format where we can talk right in a way that lets us explore ideas and really, you know, share what what we want to say in its in its in its uh, in, in its fullness, right? And, and hearing you do that in this conversation is so important because I think it does underscore the kind of kind leadership that you not just. Um, you, you ask for and you require, but you demonstrate. Um, and I I am concerned, I'm deeply concerned that part of the failure of our leadership right now is is that they are not preparing everyone for the long haul. And leaders have an obligation to be upfront with people. And I worry that too many think that November is the end. And, and, and I'm looking at it as maybe the late third quarter, maybe the fourth quarter with a lot of overtime. And we might have two, three, four overtimes, sure. right? And I think voices and leaders like yours are going to be critical to take us through what could be many tough years, right? I mean, only people who've never been to war think it's easy and simple. And now we're in this, and I think you and others are going to be so critical in helping us through this complex and evolving battlefield on everything from the pandemic to Trump, to the election results, to, you know, the national security threats. But you, you consistently bring hope, and that's important because it's lacking from our leadership, and you bring happiness you, you do channel all those emotions and turn them into a very powerful snowball. And and so I, I want to ask you the other question I ask of all of our guests. Stephen Colbert, what makes you happy?
1: Well, I uh, really like my dog. <laughs> <laughs> I really do like my dog. He he hasn't, He's still only a year old, so he still will chew very valuable things. <laughs> I weigh, weigh. Julia, there's a... Chinese artist, dissident. Yeah, artist. amazing. He sent, and not just to me, but he sent around these hand-printed masks, uh, COVID masks, to sort of point at the need for masks with a letter, a signed letter from Ai Weiwei, like, like this. My dog fucking ate it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for the salty talk, but my dog ate. Two. <laughs> I've got two of the masks left. He ate two pieces of hand-printed art by Ai Weiwei. I'm like, fucker, I could send you to college on that shit. <laughs> <laughs> now I don't have the complete set. And Ai Weiwei, I'm sure you're watching. Can you please just send me another set? <laughs> I just wanted to frame it. Um, so he makes me mad too, but <laughs> I love him anyway. Um, oh, of course, I, I, my, my family makes me happy. Seeing my kids doing okay, you know, like... Knowing my kids are all right, you know, that they're happy, that's good. Um, But what else makes me happy? Comedy, man. I'm so lucky. I get to hang out. My Rolodex, as my friend Tom likes to say, my Rolodex is filled with the funniest people on the planet, Mm. professionally funny people. And if I'm really down, I can call them and go, hey, what's going on with you? And we will make each other laugh. And I always feel better at the end of it. Laughter really does. I'm not going to say best medicine, but it is an excellent psychotropic drug can actually put you in another place so you can have another point of view about what's going on right now. So, you know, I like to say, you know, uh, why I feel better today? Because jokes, because Mm. jokes, Mm. you know, Um, that's great. Here is the mind killer. And if you're laughing, you're not afraid. I mean, I know I'm repeating myself, but it really makes a huge difference. Mm. You know, there is a tyranny. There is a tyranny that wants to make you feel powerless and Mm. jokes always at the very least you can laugh at the devil Mm. and and he cannot abide mockery Mm. and uh it's just great to know that that's always there for you you always have that in your pocket you just laugh out loud and and that really makes you feel like oh well shit I've got some purpose in my life I mean it's not everybody not everybody digs your you know your shtick but those who do, you're making their day a little bit better, and that's just enormous. Even if you're talking about some sometimes dark things, if you're just making them feel a little bit better about it, that that makes me happy to know I'm making somebody else's day a little bit better. That's that's a great gift. You know, that's, I get so much back. If the show goes well, I got more energy at the end of it than the beginning of it.
0: I love it, and that energy is contagious. And and it's also the flip side is contagious too. I don't know if we've ever had a less funny president than Trump. He's so unfunny. I mean, he makes. You know, he makes George
1: Bush look like you. I mean, it's like he, he, he can't do a joke, but only cruel jokes. And he never he never really see him laugh. That's the no, weird there's
0: part. no fun. There's no happiness. There's no humor. And that in that command climate, as we call it in the military, is, is contagious. And that energy is contagious. And that's why we need the happiness and we need the laughter. Anybody who's been through a hard time knows that. And that's why I think what you're doing is performing a tremendous public service. You're, you're, you're a patriot, and this country, in my view, is at war in so many different ways. It feels like war. It sounds like war. It hurts like war. Yep. And, and we need laughter. I, I've said before, especially for the troops and veterans, you're like the Bob Hope of our generation. Um,
1: and, well, and Bob I, Hope kept it going. I haven't done it in a while, and that, that's on me. But Bob, Bob kept it going for a while, and I want to get back to that. I would um, like to get back to that. You're going you're gonna to keep I it going. Please. Can, I, can I ask you a question? Of course. It's, I had H.R. McMaster on the other night. Yep. And um, uh, at, at one point, I, he mentioned that we had taken the show over, overseas and we had done some stuff for the troops. And, and I said, well, it, it, at the time, it felt like the troops were what, – what I was hearing from friends that I knew in the service, the troops felt like they were being ignored. And their experiences were being ignored because America was suddenly gazing at its own navel with the economic crisis of 2008, 2009, and, and thereafter. And he said, Yes, we still have wars going on around the world right now. And I almost stopped him and said, What are those wars? Mm. Like, what are those? Because they're spoken of so little right now that I wanted to hear somebody who, I mean, he's no longer serving he's at the Hoover Institute right now, but where are where are these people? Where are our troops, our men and women, being stationed right now? I'd love for you to tell me where are the people that we're not thinking about right now? Because I know we still have troops in the Middle East. I know we still have forces in Afghanistan. I know we still have forces in some parts of Iraq and Syria. I know there's probably some forces in Central or South America someplace we don't know about.
0: The short answer is they're everywhere, right? And and now they're also fighting wildfires in California and they're in the DMZ in, in South Korea. And they are often forgotten, um, and they're often rising to the challenge in ways that are subtle. And I think, you know, I think we had a real challenge for so long because people didn't understand war. Less than one half of one percent served. Everybody else was doing their thing. After COVID, I think everybody understands a little differently. I think they they feel a threat. They know what it is to think about safety all the time. They know what it's like to pull your family close and to think about your will and to know how you could die at any moment. I think that that, that, that is, is different. And it's connecting us in a, in a way that we could have never been connected unless we were all under a unified threat. I went to Israel once and was exploring how they were caring for their troops and doing mental health. And, I, and um, you know, I, I talked to a provider and I asked him about how they related to civilians and how hard it must be to connect with civilians. He said, everybody over here has PTSD we're all worried about rockets falling on us, civilians or, or soldiers. So there was that connectivity and so many other places around the world feel that too. So they, they are everywhere. But in this war, we're all troops. We all need to pick up what we can and get involved, whether it's a pen or you know, a joke or a rifle. And I think right now, well, I'm glad you brought up McMaster's because I think we are again being terribly failed by our leadership. I am terribly disappointed in McMaster's and in Millie, and in General Mattis and in General Kelly, because they're pulling their punches and yes. they can't hide behind the stars because they put the stars on the shelf and said, I am now a political actor. So they can't have it both ways. And they're trying to have it both ways. And I think they right now have an opportunity not just to influence the way people vote, but the way people think about our national security, because I think the biggest thing Trump's done is, is made us vulnerable in so many ways that our enemies are celebrating. And I use the hashtag all the time. Our enemies are celebrating. So I think they have a moral responsibility, a national security imperative to tell the American people what they know because it can get worse. This guy has his finger on the nukes, and it can always get much worse, and it could get worse before November. So I am terribly disappointed in 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 the political and military leadership of our generation. I think they are failing us in ways that dwarf what happened in Vietnam, and I think they're failing the American people in ways that dwarf what happened in vietnam and iraq and any other time
1: so- I, I don't know what the i don't know what sort of the um, the ethos of uh commander leadership is and within within the military but it seems to me that i know it's important but i mean i don't know what the necessarily how what the prescribed responsibilities of leadership are but it seems to me that having to chase these men to say tell us the truth does not seem like leadership you shouldn't no. have to chase the leader around and say, tell us what the truth is, because we know you're hiding something or rather it's a sin of omission that you will not share. I'm not saying you're actively trying to hide something, but what is the difference between that and the sin of omission? Because, you know, I asked General McMasters the other day, I said, um, well, you say that the Russian interference on in elections is the single greatest national security threat to the United States or and and. And we know that the president denies that it's happening so is the president then a national security threat and he he wouldn't they won't answer they, they answer.
0: never right. answer it and that's like it, it's it's literally like failing to acknowledge that osama bin laden is a part of al-qaeda's network and terrorism and everything else that spawned thereafter i mean they they won't say his name they won't they, they talk about leadership and they talk about accountability and they talk about integrity and they talk about our divisions in generality, without recognizing that one person singularly is setting the command climate and making those decisions. So I think it's a total failure of of leadership. I think it's a failure of integrity when they allow him, when General Milley and and Secretary Esper allow him to walk them out into into Lafayette Park, where, where National Guardsmen are intimidating peaceful protesters. They were used. And I think if they had any integrity, they would have resigned. They would have said, I won't be used. Another day, I'm out of here. So I think the failures have been very, very, very severe. I think they damage our democracy. I think they damage the trust in our military, especially at a time right now. If Trump rolls the National Guard into Louisville, there are a lot of people who fear that the military is his ground force in a race war. And, and they're not. And, and if these guys don't speak out, then 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 Trump will be allowed to continue to manipulate the military in a way that is so damaging, in the same way he manipulates anger and religion and so many other things. So, you know, veterans are supposed to be the guardians of the democracy. The military is supposed to be the keeper of the flame. If if America was a religion, we're supposed to be the clergy. And, and I think that that they are failing. And we gotta call them out. They, they, some of the guardrails are working, Stephen, but too many of them are failing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's why, you know, <laughs> Right now, your patriotic demonstration every day is 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 more profound and more impactful than McMasters. you know McMaster should be asking you questions about leadership not the other way around
1: i would never I would never put myself in that position over him given the service he's given this country, but that's nice of you to say. What interests me is um you know we talk about the divisions in the country, like people like McMaster talks about divisions and you said uh, uh, kelly and and mattis and people in the gen- in the generalities. I wish that I felt like our present leadership liked Americans, hmm. that they just liked us. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I have massive disagreements with people in my own family. I love them though. We have to still, we, I, I love Americans. I mean, I like human beings and Americans are human beings. Let's not put ourselves above right. other human beings, but I really like Americans. I just don't understand how our our president of the united states and the people around him seem to not like the majority of americans
0: because well he doesn't like himself i mean i'm not you know i'm just taking us back to where you were before but i mean there's there's a there's an insecurity and a lack of integrity i keep talking about he, he's a terrible person he's a terrible person he I'm is I, said before, I think he's a piece of shit i think he's a terrible person and you can't build any foundation on something that's so broken so everything he does is broken everything this is who he is he is a terrible person you wouldn't trust. Somebody used to tell me, you know, you want people around that you can trust with your wallet and your kids. Right. And you can't trust him with either. You can't trust him with anything and, and because he lacks integrity, because he's a terrible person. And, and that's the core of everything. So I said, you know, Joe Biden is, is not perfect, but you can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And he's good. He's a good person. And I'll take good over catastrophically terrible and, and and diabolically awful i will take that and that's our choice
1: but okay. you are you give him are a chance give him a chance paul come on <laughs> give, him, nah, give, nah. Him has, give him a chance give him a chance give him a chance three years and eight months
0: give him a chance of the pandemic and the nukes and race wars and everything else yeah. no no thank you The stakes are too high you know just like in the military you don't get a second chance to screw up a war you, ideally right
1: do you know do you, it interests me i i um I just read uh, Bob Woodward's book, and it, and in that, he clearly is having first-person conversations with Mattis and, and Dan Coates and Tillerson and maybe even Jared Kushner and everything. It really seems like he's actually speaking to all these people. And usually those books are, uh, I was asked to serve. I was hesitant. My family convinced me it was the right thing to do, so I c- came to the call. As the years went on, it occurred to me that there were it's immediate. All of them immediately go like, I immediately knew that this was a disaster. I immediately knew there's nothing I could do. And it, it, I'm struck by how quickly the people, every single person who ever spends time with him and then leaves of any note or of any, of, of any, um, level of integrity goes, I, that's a, that's, that's, that's a dangerous man who has no moral compass. I, I can't believe that that's the guy who's calling the shots. And, I don't know what motivates... I always think that people, you know, act in their, their own self-interest. Even people who act altruistically believe that what is good for everyone will be good for me. Um, it's not like anyone out there is um, not voting to make their own lives or the family's lives better. I just, don't, I just don't perceive what this basement of 42% of Americans think that Trump is doing for them. What I, I'm confused. And that confusion can lead to anger and anger can lead to hate and hate can lead to the dark side. But that's another thing that makes me angry. Confusion makes you angry. We, you know, does. Con- confusion makes you angry. And so I do get confused. And I try not to lead that to lead to anger. I get confused by the people who can look at 200,000 dead and a cratered economy and a president who would take no responsibility, not even respond to the knowledge that 200,000 people have died. He was asked Two days ago, why haven't you said anything about the? Why haven't you acknowledged two hundred thousand people uh dying of covid and he looked at the reporter then looked to the left and said, "Anyone else yeah that is shocking i'm not I'm not exactly sure what your what uh what sustenance you are getting politically spiritually yeah emotionally intellectually what are you getting from a man like that
0: well we're not we're not getting anything. That's why he needs to go. I mean, no, it, it's about,
1: is, it feels like they're getting something. I don't know. Well, what I think
0: the, the people who that. continue to support him, I think, you know, fall in two categories. Either they don't know any better for some reason or another, or they think they have something to gain personal. That's it. I mean, for me, it's in two categories, right? And, and everybody else is, is, is on the other side. And I think it's, you know, it, it is a defining point for the integrity of every individual in this country. Like when you go to the ballot box, you're making a character statement, yeah. in my view. And you're making, you know, a statement uh, on the character of the future of this country. So I'm with you. I, I still love Americans. I don't love them all. I mean, <laughs> no,
1: just... neither do I. But that, that's the part I do, because I actually really do want to understand because there is something on the other side of this. You know, there's a reason why Lincoln talked about the 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 the, the, the better angels of our nature is that there, there, there had to be something on the other side of all of this. For the country to come back together. And I'm not saying that there has to be like a truth and reconciliation committee, yep. but there has to be some reckoning to these years yep. of what's going on. I think right that's
0: now. right. I mean, I, I I always hope that he that this will end with him in handcuffs, because I think that we need that statement for the future, for our children, and to the world. We need to show people that there is accountability in America for this level of destruction to America. And that's what I, my hope is. I don't I don't I don't know how likely it is, but I think there needs to be public accountability where where the world sees that he is held accountable by the American people beyond the ballot box. but but we may not see that day. In the meantime, we got to have leaders like you that take us through it. And I think hearing you talk in this way, I hope underscores for people your deep level of patriotism. And I use that word carefully. But I think you're a true patriot. And at a time when we need patriots who care about this country and not about a party or an ideology and care about the future. And you've been that for a long time. And those of us who know you know that and have seen that. And and I'm just grateful for your your leadership example. You're a guy that we can look up to and tell our kids that's a man who has honor and integrity, does things the right way, treats people the right way, and you can be like him. Trump is a guy, don't be like Trump. Right? My kid thinks he's the Grinch. He says he's a lot like the Grinch. Don't be like Trump. But Stephen Colbert is a person that people can be like, and we're grateful for you. And I want you to know that. And I have gifts for you.
1: You may, you look like you may want to interrupt me, but I want to keep I'm, you on the timeline. I'm going to interrupt you just by saying, that's very nice of you to say, I, I I think of myself as like a leader of my show. And we do the show for the people, you know, who are watching it. And if that provides something else to them, that's great. My objective is to lead my show and to do the show for the people out there. Not that I'm not, I'm not denying the compliment you gave me. That's very nice of you to say, but I I am myself indifferent, honest, yet I could accuse me of such things It were better my mother had not born me. So (laughs) every man knows his own heart and I wish I was a better person.
0: Well, uh, the fact that you say that underscores that you are a good person and you're working at it every day tenaciously. In the meantime, I have some gifts for you. We would normally do this in person and we would share a cocktail. We can't do that right now. So I'm going to quickly virtually present you with some gifts. I've got some angry Americans gear made by the veterans of Oscar Mike. It's super comfortable and it would match that Martin guitar hat you have, which I think is so cool because anybody who knows about guitars knows that Martins are awesome. They are. Um, Yeah. And, uh, and next I have some whiskey for you. It is, uh, (laughs) not much evidently. Uh, No, I drank some of it. Uh, but it's uncle, uncle nearest, which has a fantastic story. Uh, they're big supporters of this show. It's fantastic
1: whiskey. Going to send that your way. Is that, is that a rye? Is that a corn mash? What is that? You no,
0: know, it's a small batch whiskey. Um, and it's just, called the smoothest whiskey in Tennessee. I hope you don't mind going across the border to drink whiskey from Tennessee. Or it was named after uh, Nearest Green, who was the former slave who taught Jack Daniels how to make whiskey. Je- Jeffrey Wright introduced us to this, and it's also awesome. Uh, you in. have to replace your own. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. The last gift, which is also a question, it's kind of the Rorschach test of our, of our show. Um, We have three colors of Peeps. We've done this with every guest from the beginning. And and I will ask you, Stephen Colbert, blue, yellow, or pink, which color of Peeps would you choose and why?
1: Yellow, because I'm uh, an originalist. And Peeps were originally meant to replace Easter chicks that people used to put in Easter baskets. They would actually give kids chicks like at Easter as like, you know, the, it was a kind of joke about you had the eggs, but then they hatched overnight. So there were chicks in there. And, um, the other ones, the pink and the blue was sometimes people would dye the actual chicks to be the color of the eggs and everything. So, um, uh, I, I would go with the yellow cause that's, they're meant to be Easter chicks that you would put in a basket, which thankfully people don't do anymore. Cause the things did not end well for those chicks. So I would go with yellow,
0: there's always a lesson in, in, in these answers. That, see, you are a student of history, and you're also a teacher and a professor, and you're guiding us through these perilous times. You are, I'm honored to have you as a friend. I'm so grateful that you joined us on this show and had this conversation with me. You've been doing so many good things for this country for so long, and I want you to know it's appreciated, especially in the veterans and military community, but by so many people in this country and around the world. I am so, so grateful for your friendship and your example and all that you do for this country.
1: Well, Paul, I'm grateful for your friendship, too. Thanks so much. And thank you for what you're doing. And thank you for going out there and, you know, trying to find out why we're all so angry right now, <laughs> what we can do to get happy. I want this to turn into happy Americans this time next year.
0: All right. You know, if we have a new president, it will definitely be happier Americans. <laughs> thank,
1: <laughs> thank you. you. Thank, thank you, my you. friend.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, the great and powerful Stephen Colbert. Stay frosty, my friend. more than ever there's plenty of reason out there to be angry but like Stephen described there's a way to turn it a way to channel it a way to harness it and always a way to make an impact and right now more than ever there's an opportunity for you to turn that anger sadness frustration inspiration agony into positive lasting impact right now you can be a helper
1: always look for the helpers there will always be helpers you know, even just on the sidelines, because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope.
0: In every show, I give you a way to be a helper, a way to convert that righteous, understandable anger into positive action, a positive action that shows that angry Americans can also be impactful Americans, an action that channels your energy, makes you feel good, and makes a difference. And like this show, all actions are packed with the four eyes of integrity, information, inspiration and impact. And there's a really straightforward way for you to do that right now. Vote. Vote. Go to vote.org right now. If you haven't already registered, register right now. If you've already registered, vote right now. If you haven't voted, get five other people to register and vote and then get five more. This is the time to mobilize, unify, and vote. And not just vote, but vote to remove Donald Trump. I'm an independent. I know many of you are independents, Democrats, Republicans, and everything in between. This election is bigger than all of that. This election is about the future of our democracy. And this election is about removing Donald Trump so we have some hope for the future. And Joe Biden's the hope we've got. So my action this week is simple. Register to vote, vote, and get others to vote. That's the most powerful way yet that you can be a helper. And if you got a story to tell or a resource to share, find us on social media and let me know. Don't just be angry, be active. It's been a grueling summer and we're facing a daunting fall, but we've got an incredible team to take us through it. And I want to thank all of them and all of you for listening. Most of all, I want to thank Stephen Colbert and his amazing team and family, and especially Amy Cole and Carrie Bailick on his team. They're incredible. Thanks to the Righteous Media team, Mighty Mercy Rich, creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz. Thanks to our friends at Uncle Nearest Whiskey, the most awarded American whiskey or bourbon of 2019 and 2020. Thanks to our incredible Patreon members of all levels. Thanks to everyone who sounded off to Guess the Guest on social media. Every Wednesday, we will post a Guess the Guest contest. And some of you got Colbert. We had a picture of him in front of the Kremlin, and many of you recognized him by his ears. But every Wednesday on our social media, there's a chance to guess the guest. We've got some outstanding guests coming up. Sound off on social media and let me know who else you'd like to see on this show in the weeks and months to come. I always want to hear from you. And we have a hotline, 833-33-ANGRY, 833-33-ANGRY. You can call, tweet, post on social, and you know what'll happen.
1: I'll make you famous.
0: Thanks to all of you who continue to sound off. And as always, thanks to my incredible family, my wife, and my two boys. Football starts tonight. My five-year-old boy has his first ever football practice tonight. Flag football. We're making it happen just like everybody around the country is making so many things happen despite the odds. So big shout out to all the coaches out there in all sports trying to make it happen safely right now. And thanks for continuing to tell your friends to check this podcast out. If you're on an Apple device, please leave the show a quick review. Subscribe to Angry Americans now and we will have it hot and fresh and waiting for you every Thursday night to take you into your weekend, to take you into Thursday night football and into what is sure to be a very interesting and important winter. Seriously, do it. Do it. Do it. And definitely keep the feedback coming i see you i hear you i'm with you go to angryamericans.us. you can sign up for our newsletter you can check out our youtube page you can see video of this conversation with stephen colbert you can see inside his very cool den you can see his martin guitar hat and you can see our entire conversation and share it with your friends i hope it brings you a laugh i hope it brings you some insight and i hope it brings you some inspiration we're going to continue to adapt improvise and overcome so stay tuned subscribe for free and share and we will keep this movement growing week by week by week it's okay to be angry especially now and know you're not alone because we're all at least a little angry and that's because we're paying attention fall is here football is here the biggest election of our life is here it's game time people time to put your game face on time to execute
1: gentlemen There's been a lot of talk about expectation lately. Expectation of what we should be able to do to win. People are expecting. People are expecting quite a bit. I see us winning out there tonight. I have no trouble seeing that. That is not what I'm expecting. I expect you boys to go out there and not take this team lightly because I promise you, they're gonna come at you with everything they've got. I expect you boys to execute. Yes,
0: sir.
1: expect you boys to play football.
0: Yes, sir.
1: Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Can't lose! You deserve this year, Steve. Yes, sir. You've earned this, the right to win. You put that in your head. Me too, coach. Expect to win.
0: You've earned that. We've all earned it. But we got to go out and get it. That's what this fall is all about. Nobody made a greater mistake than he or her who did nothing because they could only do little. Every one of us can do something this fall for the future of our country. Like football, America is a team game. The ultimate team game. And this fall is the most important season we've ever seen. And we're up for it. And together, we will win. I'm your host, Paul Reichoff. Thanks for listening. And stay frosty. And remember, clear eyes, full hearts can't lose. Stay vigilant, America.